This is TSC Now, a podcast from the TSC Alliance. Hello, and welcome to TSC Now. I'm your host, Dan Klein. This episode is sponsored by UCB Inc., and we thank them for their generous support. This episode is coming to you a little bit later than usual, because at the end of July, the entire TSC Alliance staff was down in Dallas for the 2022 World TSC Conference. The conference brought together over 700 individuals and families affected by TSC from around the world, as well as expert TSC clinicians and researchers for four days of education, inspiration, and hope. World TSC conferences are really incredible events and a labor of love for our entire team. So while I was there, I had the opportunity to catch up with several members of the TSC community to ask them not just about the conference, but what inspires them to continue to be part of this larger TSC community. So this is going to be part one of a two-part episode about the conference, but also about how we carry the momentum and the energy from the conference to continue to accelerate research and support those living with TSC. We opened the conference by announcing a new collaboration with the Ramesh and Kalpana Bhatia Family Foundation to uncover biomarkers, test new treatments, and connect researchers with families to better address TSC-associated neuropsychiatric disorders, or TAND. As part of this collaboration, the Bhatia Family Foundation is investing $2.5 million, the largest single donation in the TSC Alliance's history. My first guest had the pleasure of making this announcement twice on the first day of the conference, first to a small group at a private reception, and then later to everyone in attendance at the opening dinner, which was seriously one of the single most emotional and affecting moments of the entire conference. After the conference, I caught up with Anita Bhatia, executive director of the Ramesh and Kalpana Bhatia Family Foundation, and she shared the story of her inspiring family and what motivated them to make this incredible investment in TAN research. Here's my conversation with Anita. So I'm now joined by Anita Bhatia. Anita is the executive director of the Ramesh and Kalpana Bhatia Foundation. Anita, thank you so much for taking time to talk to me today. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So I am excited that you're here because almost three weeks to the day, we were all together in Dallas to kick off our 2022 World TSC Conference. And we really kicked it off with a bang by announcing a transformational gift from your Families Foundation, a gift of $2.5 million to really help accelerate TAND research and move the ball forward in our understanding of TAND. I guess to start, what was that experience like being able to announce such an incredible gift in front of the TSC community with everyone gathered together at the conference? Okay. So when Kari asked me if I would be available to make the announcement, my first immediate thought was, wow, I'm so honored. I'm originally from Dallas. So for me, it was really exciting that the World Conference was being held in my hometown. And so I was excited to be able to come home, to be honest, and then also obviously support the TSC Alliance. And so when Kari first asked me to speak, she asked me to speak at a smaller reception that occurred prior to the welcome dinner. And, you know, it was probably a group of about 25, 30 folks. It was really lovely, really nice. But when I walked into the welcome dinner, 
I mean, I was truly so overwhelmed with emotion. It was the first time I'd ever been to the World Conference. And it was the first time ever since my daughter was born that I was in an entire room just filled with families just like mine, who without words being spoken, we all just understood each other. And to be honest, making the announcement was great. But for me, just being in that room was the most special, special thing I've experienced in a really long time. Getting the opportunity to share this moment and this incredible generosity with them was really special. And I love at the end of your speech, how you ask for hugs and sure enough, people lined up to give you hugs. When I had kids lining up to hug me and just to tell me their story and their names and who they are, where they live and how they're doing, it was, again, no words. I I mean, just no words how special it was. And, you know, the other thing, too, is just as humans, you know, we can feel very isolated and the world can feel very big and overwhelming. And to be in that room, it felt like the entire world had just come down to that one space where it was just camaraderie. Everyone just understood with no words. And having all the physicians there, I mean, I was so excited personally that our neurologists were there, our psychiatrists were there. And I'm sure other parents feel that way too, especially with everything that's been going on with COVID. There's been a lot of Zoom conversations. So to actually be able to talk to people in person and possibly even just give your doctor a hug, it was magical. Truly magical. You started your announcement speech talking about your parents and how they are truly an American story and how they pulled themselves up from their bootstraps. Can you share that with our listeners? So my dad is Ramesh Bhatia and my mom is Kalpana Bhatia. And I think they probably have very similar stories to a lot of people out there. My dad came here around 1961 or 62, and he was very, very, very poor. they sort of scraped money together. He made his way over to America with about $300 in his pocket. And, you know, when he went to go get his visa to come here, the American embassy said, well, you know, the Vietnam War is going on. Are you sure you want to go to America? Because you might get drafted. And he's like, yeah, if that's my country, I'm in. Whatever you guys tell me to do, I'll do. So they let him come to America. He was a mechanical engineer by his degree. He just sort of pounded the pavement and not an easy time for people of color. And so he was definitely turned away from many different positions just because of that. He found a great job and honestly just worked his way up. Was the first one there, the last one to leave and eventually met my mom who also came to the country with sort of very little and she had her own path and they met and they have worked really hard and we've made a lot of sacrifices as a family, but I wouldn't change it for the world, I would say the basis of our family is education. So, you know, as I said, my dad grew up very poor and his dad, before he passed away, could only send my dad or his brother to school. He sent my dad. So my dad was able to get a degree. So education is just very, very important to us. My parents have always just had this spirit of generosity and spirit of giving. I always laugh because even when I was little, I remember, you know, anyone who came to our house if they liked something that my mom had, she would always give it to them. And 
I would say, why are you always giving away our stuff? You know, and she'd say, well, you know, they like it and maybe they need it more than we do. And it makes them happy, which makes me happy. So from a young age, I just remember that was sort of the general idea in our home was always to help people. Both your parents sound like really inspiring people. How did that spirit of generosity and giving and philanthropy that you were talking about that they lived on a daily basis ultimately translate into them wanting to start a family foundation to make bigger change? They've always sort of had that idea of giving. My dad tells me a story of his dad. In India, there was a time where it was called the partition and there were a lot of refugees that came into India as well as went into Pakistan. And so my dad and his family, it was a family of 12, but they took in a lot of refugees and helped feed people even though they didn't have food themselves. And so I think obviously that's something that he learned from a young age and that was something he sort of passed on to us. He decided in 2006 that he wanted to really put his money where his mouth is and create a foundation to really be able to direct gifts to where as a family, you know, where we sort of wanted to make an impact. And it's funny because it actually started off pretty simple in that every year he would call and say, okay, what charities do you guys want to donate to? It would be like $500, $1,000. And we would sometimes be scrambling to find charities sort of at the last minute. And I took over about four years ago or so, and I had been in nonprofits before that. And so I said, listen, we're going to be changing our strategy a little bit and we're going to probably be giving a little bit larger gifts, but you know, they're going to be strategic and really impactful. And he said, let's do it. I'm on board. And so that's honestly, that's been our journey. They would donate anonymously. And then I came on board and I said, okay, we're not going to do that anymore. And not because I don't appreciate that they sort of want to stay humble in that way. My thought process is not because it's ever to brag. I just always want to encourage others to give in whatever way they can, you know, because that's really what it's about. We're just one family. Hopefully we inspire others to be able to give in the ways they can. I love that notion that not giving anonymously is really not to receive credit, but to inspire others to give and to create a culture of giving. After my gift announcement at the World Conference, this beautiful little girl named Maddie, who lives in Tulsa, Oklahoma, posted a video that she's making bracelets and she's selling them for $2 to raise money for TSC Alliance. So that's it. That's what I care about. What ultimately inspired your family to make this investment in TSC Research and in the TSC Alliance? It all starts with my daughter, Anya. I will be honest, I was in the medical field for many years. I have many family members and friends who are physicians, and I had never heard of tuberous sclerosis before. And I, you know, had my daughter and everything seemed okay until four weeks, her eye started blinking in a way that I didn't think was okay. And by eight weeks, we had a diagnosis. So really, obviously, it starts with her and our journey just as a family and dealing with tuberous sclerosis. She's now 15. 
and she is continuing to grow and do well. We've seen challenges. I mean, of course, there's many challenges. I think, again, what has been most surprising are the associated neurological diseases that are related to tuberous sclerosis. Most people think, okay, you have one disease and you manage that disease. But with tuberous sclerosis complex, you know, it affects so many organs, which then have so many other outlying effects. So for all those reasons, we just really felt strongly in supporting and helping create clinical research that is going to help other TSC families out there. You know, the other thing that I'll share when we were talking about the donation as a family, one of the things that I was sort of explaining to my dad when we were trying to decide what makes sense and what doesn't. And I said, listen, here's why $2.5 million to the TSC Alliance is the right thing to do. Because this disease is rare. It does not get all the publicity and the awareness that other diseases do. That's why it's even more important for our family and hopefully other families out there to support an organization like the TSC Alliance because all the money that we're giving is going towards research that's going to help TSC. And again, those related neurological disorders. So the impact is, is so large autism, you know, anxiety, all of these other behaviors. That's why we chose TSC Alliance as a partner. You know, you talked about TSC associated neuropsychiatric disorders or TAND. And when we talk to parents of kids with TSC, often that's the number one issue they're facing. And it's because it manifests itself in so many ways. Like you were saying, it's autism, it's school issues, it's anxiety, it's sleep issues, and it impacts quality of life so dramatically. Can you talk a little bit about how TAND has impacted your daughter? What you just said is so spot on because, you know, again, like I said, in the sort of initial phase of the diagnosis, my daughter had seizures. So we were, you know, managing those. But as she's gotten older, there have been other issues that have popped up like anxiety. She definitely has sensory issues. She's on the spectrum. She definitely has, you know, attention issues. She can have, you know, repetitive behaviors and an inability to sort of pay attention. She has academic issues, executive functioning issues, like, you know, being able to organize your binder at school or, you know, keep a calendar, things like that. And, you know, ultimately, I think social interactions are are difficult for her when it comes to peer-to-peer interactions. And so, you know, those are all things that any parent, regardless of, you know, if you have a diagnosis or not, and those are all things as parents, we don't want our kids to have anxiety. We don't want our kids to have low self-esteem. We want our kids to have friends. That's all affected us and how we've had to learn as we go about just the different behaviors that have come up or different issues that have come up. And so that's why I want to get research done to figure out how do we manage that? And also research is so critically important 
for our medical community because we really need an educated medical community to be able to properly diagnose TSC as early as possible. I think this gift goes back to that commitment to education that you were talking about that's been instilled in you all along. This idea that through education, through research, we can really make meaningful change in the world. And when we talk about meaningful change, you know, what what exactly does that mean, right? And so for me, we're really trying to create an equitable world. And that, again, starts in a lot of ways with education. This research will help not only educate the researchers themselves, but that will translate into new medications that will translate into education for parents to be their own advocates. So on the subject then of big impact, this investment is going toward establishing Anya's Accelerator in honor of your daughter, Anya. And as you were saying, the focus is really to take a holistic approach to driving research forward in TAND. So it's talking to parents to understand what the unmet need is. It's developing preclinical models to test new compounds. It's translating those models into clinical trials. And it's eventually, hopefully, getting us to a place where there are treatments for some of these manifestations and not necessarily just in TSC, but potentially in the greater population of people who are affected by neurological disorders. What is your hope for what this investment achieves over the next three years and then even beyond that? As you said, TSC impacts individuals in larger ways than we sort of even thought before. And so, you know, I think the research that we're funding will have the potential to impact impact so many other diseases. Autism, like I said, is one. And also, you know, really big on my list, I think is psychiatric disorders. You know, I think mental health generally is something that is is a topic that is now sort of coming more to the forefront as a mainstream topic. But again, like I want to make sure that our population and our community is really taken seriously, but also they are treated specifically for the TSC related issues that it is. And it's not just you're in this category, you know. However, the research that we're going to do can thankfully, I think, will translate into helping many others. So though you may not have a TSC diagnosis or any of those other diagnoses, but maybe you do have anxiety. And I hope that our research will help a much broader audience than the TSC community. I know that is our hope too in all the research that we do, that it has viability for other disease states and for other people who need help. And, you know, as inspired as you are by Kari and by Steve and by our team, we are inspired by your family and your generosity and, you know, your your willingness to be the first in driving this, but hopefully not the last. And hopefully this is, as you were talking about earlier, the inspiration for others to give and really move the ball forward. So thank you for everything that your family has done for our organization so far. And we're so excited about continuing this partnership in the future. Me too. I am really just thrilled. And the beauty is that, you know, we inspire each other. And I think that's when magic happens. And I know this partnership is just going to make so much impact. But again, I encourage anyone who's listening, tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell everybody, find a way to give. Give your time, just give a little bit of money, $5 goes a long way and be kind to each other. I think that's the most important thing we can do. 
I couldn't say it any better myself. And I think, you know, that's a beautiful place to end this conversation. It was such a thrill talking to you and, you know, learning more about your family. And thank you for spending time with me and and sharing. Well, thank you for listening and asking. I appreciate it. Anytime I get to talk about my parents, I get really happy. So I do appreciate your time and your, you know, just your willingness to listen. My thanks again to Anita for sharing her story and what inspires her family's amazing generosity. I really had a great time talking to her and love her notion that theirs can be the first gift and a wave of support to help us better understand and ultimately develop effective treatments for different tanned clusters. As mentioned in our conversation, their gift will establish Anya's Accelerator with three major goals. Number one, developing quantifiable patient reported outcomes for the most impactful aspects of tanned utilizing the expertise of both clinicians and you, the TSC community, from your lived experiences. Number two, identifying biomarkers and predictors of specific aspects of TAND by analyzing existing samples and data. And finally, number three, improving the translatability of and testing candidate drugs in TAND-relevant animal models by incorporating those biomarkers and predictors. Through this multifaceted approach, we really are hoping to accelerate the development of treatments that tangibly improve quality of life. If Anita's story inspired you to give, you can do so at our website, tscalliance.org, and click the donate button in the top right corner. No matter the size of your gift, your support helps move this important effort forward. My next guest is Dr. Pete Crino, TSC Alliance board chair, TSC clinic director at the TSC Center of Excellence at the University of Maryland Medical Center, a neurologist, a researcher, and all around just an inspiring leader in the TSC community. Pete also gave opening remarks at the conference and presented in several sessions. And I always leave conversations with Pete a little bit smarter about TSC, and I know you're going to enjoy our discussion. Here is my conversation with Dr. Crino. So, Dr. Crino, thank you so much for talking to me today. It's always a pleasure talking to you. I always feel like I come away from talking to you with a new appreciation and enthusiasm for you know all the ways that you've been involved with the organization. Thanks, Dan. I Thanks for the kind words. And right back at you. We've had some good conversations over the last couple of years. So we're here at the 2022 World TSC Conference. And just to start, how excited are you to be here and to get to see all of these families and individuals with TSC from around the world? Oh, it's great. And I think it's particularly meaningful after the COVID-19 pandemic. I mean, we're not through it 100%, obviously, but having the chance to get everyone together once more is a big, big community. Last night, I did the intro remarks at the welcome dinner, and I said, you're sitting in the largest family reunion dinner you've probably ever been at, and it really is a big family. So I'm very excited to see everybody get together. There's been so many developments in research, clinical care, and it's great to be able to kind of spread this information, spread the word in a very personal setting, get to see old friends, meet some new friends. So I'm very very happy that we're back in person and the conference has been really exciting with with just filled with so much promise. So you kind of mentioned that we're coming to this conference still kind of in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. And there were times as we were planning this conference that we weren't even sure if we would be able to have a meeting like this in person. What does it mean to have made it happen and to actually be able to meet in person especially for some of these families who are either newly diagnosed or coming to our conference for the first time? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I mean, it's been a huge effort, obviously, by the TSC Alliance staff, just the sheer logistics of organizing this and getting everyone together. But 
I think, you know, as much as it's great to get people together on uh, virtual connectivity, there's nothing quite like being in person. I would say to you also that if you're a family with a newly diagnosed child, you know, walking into the dinner last night and seeing what four or 500 people all sitting around, all sharing the same narrative, each with a unique take on tuberous sclerosis complex. If that doesn't make you feel part of a community, then then I'm not sure what, what does. And so I think it's really important for families to actually physically see the folks and realize that they're not alone. There's lots of resources, there's lots of infrastructure, and that there is hope through this whole journey, not only with physicians and providers and other professionals, but also from other families who can share experience. We have families here who have adult children who are in their 30s, 40s, and 50s, and you know have been dealing with this for multiple decades. They're a wealth of information for new families. We have some practitioners here who've been doing this for several decades, and they can share their views. And then another part that's great is it also brings in an entirely new complement of young physicians and scientists who are here at the meeting, and they get to get some of the excitement of the work that's going on to join this big family. Yeah, you mentioned all of the people coming to this conference. For you, as both a clinician and as a researcher, what opportunities come from getting to interact with other clinicians and researchers from all over the world, and how does that build collaboration. Yeah, I mean, anytime you get folks together and there's something organic about it, it's sort of the, you know, one plus one equals three kind of equation, but there's something organic of actually getting together, bumping into people in the hallway, grabbing a coffee and saying, hey, so I'm interested in this problem. And they say, hey, you know, so am I. And then you build collaborations. That's the synergy. That's the secret sauce of how scientific collaborations evolve and, and grow. It also allows people to share their data, things that might have not yet been published, but to say, look, I got something coming out that's pretty neat. You learn about some of the early about new clinical trials and that helps you think about new avenues for research and so as much as the virtual world is great and it was a great way to bridge us through the pandemic getting everybody back in person and bumping into friends that you haven't seen in a while you know scientists clinicians it's just an incredible way to begin to share ideas and get back to the way we used to do business pre-pandemic yeah it's interesting we're celebrating michael and janie frost with the tsc champion award at this event and as part of getting ready for the event, I got to talk to a couple of people from their past. And I talked to Dr. John Holbert, who talked about how he first met Michael at a TSC conference. He presented a paper, they sat down at a meal. And from that conversation, they decided that they needed a clinic in Minneapolis and all of the good that's come from that clinic without walls. It's amazing how those meetings lead to new resources, new information, new research avenues. Yeah, it's completely true. I remember a number of years ago, I can't remember what year it was, but the TSC conference that was in Edinburgh, Scotland. It was a research conference. And I actually met a pathologist from the Midwest. We were both hiking and I just bumped into each other and we introduced and we started chatting. And on the course of that hike, in addition to talking about how beautiful Scotland was and all the things that we were learning at the meeting, he shared with me that he had a trove of tissue specimens that he had no one to collaborate with and no one to share these specimens. And and would I be interested? And that led to a multi-year collaboration between the two of us, as well as a number of publications. So Just the sheer fact of getting together and bumping into people, sometimes that's where the magic happens. And it's absolutely true that some of the big initiatives in TSC research have grown out of fairly chance happenings of people just kind of chatting, sitting over dinner, sitting over coffee. And, you know, that's the way the business of science is done. That's collaborative synergistic science. It's typically not very formal. It actually usually grows out of people just kind of putting their heads together when they're drawn together by a big group like this. And I will say as a scientist, it's 
hard to not be compelled to get your creative juices flowing when you're at a meeting like this and you see the many challenges and you hear the narratives from families facing epilepsy, autism, kidney disease, lung disease, skin disease. It's hard to not have that compel you towards creativity. And then you get a bunch of scientists together and a bunch of clinicians. And again, that's where I think a lot of the synergy really, really happens. And we've had a number of major clinical trials that have really been born and seen their genesis at the big meetings. Staying on that subject of collaboration and working with clinicians and researchers and people in the TSC community, the, those individuals and families who are affected. You know, we designed this conference to really address all aspects of TSC throughout a lifetime and all of the different medical and legal and social and interpersonal challenges that people might face. But we also really put an emphasis on the importance of TSC research and also how people can get involved in TSC research. So in your mind, what role does the TSC community play? play in driving TSC research forward? And how can we take the momentum from a conference like this and really galvanize it and push research forward? Yeah, no, it's a great question because, you know, you figure most scientists here in the United States get the majority of their funding from the National Institutes of Health. But, you know, the NIH has to support research for a large bandwidth of different diseases. And TSC is a rare disease. And so we have to generate a voice and we have to use this kind of conference to get everyone to sort of say, look, we need more funding. We need more funding. But it also allows us to generate alternative avenues funding. Indeed, the Department of Defense funding, which has been a, really just a lifeline for so many scientists over the past decade plus, much of it came out of some of the early scientific meetings where we decided to advocate for more funding. In addition, some of the work that's been done in the gift office here in the Alliance so that we can actually look at large gifts to the Alliance, these kinds of funding mechanisms lead to select grant mechanisms for junior investigators, postdoctoral fellows, clinical investigators. These are ancillary funding sources that are often used to generate pilot data, which can then be used to go on and get NIH funding. So, you know, meetings like this, where you get a whole bunch of patients, clinicians, advocates, scientists excited about a rare disease, that's how you really move a community forward to clamor for more funding, but also to generate its its own funding source. So that's a perfect segue. We got to kick off the conference by announcing a very major gift from the Ramesh and Kalpana Bhatia Foundation, $2.5 million to go towards TAND research. What kind of power does a gift like that have in helping us really move the ball on TAND? Yeah, it's a transformative gift. You know, I uh, spoke to the Bhatia family after their announcement and and offered my my humble and sincere thanks for their very gracious gift. You know, a gift like that says really a couple things. Number one, it says that what we're doing here in the Alliance is so serious, so significant, and really so meaningful that it's attracting the eyes of individuals who have the capacity for these types of gifts. You know, there's a lot of competition out in the in the gift world for, you know, gifts to all kinds of foundations. So the fact that they chose us was particularly important. Now that granted there's a family member that's affected. And so that helps for them to sort of select the TSC Alliance. But the gift really does set us in a new direction for asking for a similar or larger size gifts. It also has the very logistical function of being able to take money and put it into a specific area in this case for TAND research, a white paper that was published by the Alliance a number of years ago, looking at experts in the field agreed by consensus that the one area that would be transformative in our care of TSC patients would be to have something therapeutic in the autism space or in the TAND space using the current parlance. So having a directed donation of this magnitude that's truly transformative, I think in many ways will set the stage for some very important research. Again, that may be valuable in its own right, but then may go on to service 
pilot data for large NIH funding as well to really hone in on TAND and ASD in tuberous sclerosis and to come up with something therapeutic in that space. Can you speak to the unmet need around TAND a little bit more? I, I know it's something that we hear from <clears throat> parents a lot is there are options for dealing with seizures or options dealing with tumors, but behaviors, autism, these sorts of things, they kind of feel like they hit a brick wall. So how can we really start tackling this complicated and multifaceted issue? Yeah, no, it's absolutely true. And, and you know, the, the first challenge is when you think about, you know, one of the largest features of TAND is autism spectrum disorder. You know, there are currently no FDA approved therapies for ASD of any type uh, right now. And so it's really an area that's wide open in terms of therapeutic development. TAND, I think the most important aspect of TAND is been the stratification and the ability to sort of create levels and clusters of TAND features in patients. TAND is not a ubiquitous diagnosis that can be labeled onto any TSC patient. There are nuances in different types of TAND, and you really have to be very specific about describing uh, what are these sort of clusters of behavioral challenges. So I think it's been critical that we've identified TAND. It helps us think about it. It's more than just ASD. It's more than just intellectual disability. And by doing so, I think that will allow us to begin to stratify, for example, model development so we can test compounds potentially clinical trials where we can focus in on individual clusters of TAN behaviors. Again, some people have sleep disorders, some people have anxiety, some people have ASD. And so to just lump them all together, I think would not be prudent. But with the stratification within TAN, now we actually can come up with sort of precision medicine or targeted therapies that might work. So having this kind of funding really just kind of forces the hand that we need to really dig in here and we need to come up with some very targeted strategies for TAN. Because as you said, Dan, it's really, I think the thing that may disrupt patient quality of life for, for many, many families. So today is the first full day of programming from the, for the conference. Are there specific topics or sessions that you're looking forward to? Yeah, you know, I go to this conference and I've gone to the previous world conferences really with two goals. One is I try to go to some of the clinical sessions to make sure that I learn what's new in areas that I'm not, I'm a neurologist, so areas I'm not a specialist in, such as nephrology or dermatology or lung disease, for example. But I also enjoy going to the patient-based sessions and just listening to the families and listening to the patients. It gives me great insight as a clinician in terms of what are the things that really are meaningful day to day. It has provided me with some nuanced approaches for therapy. It's given me great insight into the challenges of TSC. And so I, I get a lot just listening to the family stories. And then finally, of course, to chat with old friends and colleagues and collaborators and, you know, to see what's new, what's going on, and maybe get the inside scoop on a new therapy or a new gene or a new protein that's been discovered. So really, I come out of this conference better educated as a clinician, more informed as a scientist, and I think in many ways more intuitively rich just as a person, just from listening to so many courageous stories. So that's your approach for how you come to a conference like this. But what advice would you give to individuals and families affected, and especially those for whom this is their first conference, what would you like them to take away from this conference? I think the first thing, which which may be implicit, but but you want folks to take away, is that you, you're not alone on this journey. There's, there's lots of people to walk this journey with you. Number two is that there's a lot of resources out there, very practical resources for logistical things, such as guardianship and uh, disability forms and insurance, but also more esoteric things like what are the future clinical 
trials that are coming down the down the pike. So the idea that you have a great community that you're joining with the Alliance is really important because I think the diagnosis is very frightening. It's very anxiety provoking for many families, largely because they just don't know what's coming next. Secondly, I think it's a great opportunity to learn about TSC. We heard this morning in the adult advocacy session, experts talking about how important it is to inform yourself about the various challenges in TSC, what the different diagnoses are, what some of the medications are that work, and learning how to represent yourself and, and be an advocate. And then the third thing, of course, is to meet with the group and realize that at the very grassroots level, you as a patient or as a family member can provide lots of support. You can provide lots of help. You can contribute to the mission. You can join the group and you can help advocate for TSC. You can march on the Hill or your local state legislature. You can participate in marches and walks to earn and try to get funds for the uh, Alliance for Research and Clinical Care. So there's lots of ways that you can get involved. So I, I favor the immersive strategy, which is that you try to go and see as much as you can. It's it's a busy couple of days for sure. And that's why they, I think they have all the free coffee in the lobby there so you can uh, keep energized. But it's just, you really do just try to go to as many sessions as possible. I love whoever has idea this year at the end of the conference book, there's a glossary of terms. I think that was a stroke of genius idea because, you know, we use a lot of medical terms and a lot of families don't know them. And, and there they are in the back of the book. So that was, that was great. We want a well-informed group of individuals, patients, and families because in TSC, it is a true statement that, that knowledge is power and that's what allows you to advocate. So my final question for you is, you know, in your opening remarks at dinner last night, you ended by saying that you believe that a cure is within reach. What gives you that conviction that we can get to a true cure for TSC? I have to say that five years ago, I don't know that I would have been so generous with that observation, but watching the progress in the field and the explosion of publications. So when I first started, for example, in tuberous sclerosis in the early 90s, the number of publications on TSC were actually very, very small. We didn't really have the genes identified. We had no pathways. We certainly had no therapies. But if you look at really what's happened since the identification of the two genes and what we've done as a rare disease, you know, given that time course, now, with the research infrastructure that we have, with the platform that the Alliance has created for preclinical research, clinical research, biosample repository, natural history database, the capacity to earn the interest of transformative gifts like the Bhatia Foundation gift, and a pretty good bandwidth of very, very talented scientists here. That's that one plus one equals three equation, and that's when magic really does begin to happen. I think a cure is still going to be some work ahead of us, but but I'm cautiously now being optimistic that there are technologies technologies that exist now in the scientific field that would allow us to change the genetic structure, if not of whole human beings, at least individual organs, or maybe even lesions within organs that would reverse or very much change the course of TSC in patients. I think TAN still remains the biggest aspirational goal, and there's still a lot of work to be done in TAN. But no, I think given the combination of research infrastructure, funding, outreach, advocacy, and talent that we have connected to the Alliance, I actually think it's okay to begin to think about well, that's really exciting, especially coming from you who has dedicated your career to TSC and has been a leader in research and a leader for organization. I appreciate everything that you continue to give to our community. And I thank you for making time to talk to me today. Thanks, Dan, for the kind words. And always, it's great, great to talk to you. My thanks again to Dr. Crino for dedicating his career to TSC and for being such a courageous and forward-thinking leader for this organization. His belief that a cure for TSC is realistic speaks volumes about the infrastructure the organization has built to help advance research, but also the amazing core of researchers like Pete, whose genius continues to move the field forward and 
through their willingness to collaborate, they are achieving breakthroughs faster than what was previously thought possible. So now the onus is on us to carry this momentum forward, to advocate, to raise awareness, to provide support for one another, because together, this community can really move mountains. So as I mentioned at the top, this is part one of a two-part episode. So this episode is dropping on Friday, but look out for part two early next week, where I catch up with the TSC champion honorees from the conference and a young adult leader in the TSC community. Thank you to everyone who made the World TSC Conference so special, and thank all of you for listening. Thank you for listening to TSC Now. Our theme song is Take Charge by Young Presidents. Listen to all our episodes and subscribe to the podcast now at tscalliance.org slash tscnow. See you next time.